It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to Dr. Stu's Podcast on iTunes so you never miss a fresh, brand new episode like this, number 45 of my friend Dr. Stuart Fishbein's podcast. Hello, my friend. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. I am, I'm just laughing and amused because I've been watching uh, producer Randy Wing trying to uh, teach his cat not to do certain things. And he cat jumps up on something, he picks the cat up and he goes, no, bad kitty. And it's like the cat likes going Well, I know that doesn't work, but still, you know, I just, that's how I react. I mean, if I know I want to discipline her, I pick her up by her neck. You think that works? Yes, it does. Oh. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Well, actually, that's how you. That's how like mothers pick up their exactly that, in the wild. That's how they. No, ba- that's how a parent would discipline a child cat. Yeah, a mother cat would. would they pick them up. Well, they don't necessarily discipline, them, but that's how they move them around. Right, right, right. Anyway, it was. It just. It's just but funny. But he's not a cat. I, I'm a cat owner, right. and I know that. Like at, you, you know my, how this is going to turn out. Right. If I'm trying to type a paper on my computer, my cat will come and she'll want to either walk on the keyboard, or if I'm in bed, she'll crawl and she'll try to sit on my chest. All right. Then when I'm done with the thing and I actually want to cuddle with her, off she goes. Right. It's all on her schedule. Yes, totally on her schedule. Right. I have no control. So it's just amusing to watch, you know. And, uh, and Jamie, what? Is Jamie three months now? Is that right? No, she's almost eight months. Yes. Oh, wow. I'm in a time warp. Yes. She's almost eight months. Yeah, she is. Uh, by the way, this is her apartment. You understand yeah. that? I you, just pay you rent just, here. You just pay the rent. It's her bed, too. That's Yeah. That you're sitting on. Yeah. Yes, her. right. But this is how my dogs do it. My dogs are in the bed with me. Does it ever bother you that I don't make my bed when you come sit on it? No, I don't care. I've never <laughs> seen your bed made. Ever. What's the point? Yeah. Right. I live alone. Right. I like, I got a cat. That's why you live alone. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> I think this is, uh, yeah, I think that uh, Jamie has established some sort of boundaries for your relationship. And I think, Look yeah. Yeah, I think she's sort of in the driver's seat here. And I think you have, uh, you have very, uh, very uh, agilely, with great agility, you have moved into sort of a submissive role with the cat, and I commend you for that. Well, what else am I going to do? She runs the place. Well, that's oh, yeah, that's true. That's what cats do. You well, have that's, two cats. That's what most females do. Right, right. Which is interesting because not, here we not, are, three single guys. Not just Maybe cats. we should have Dr. Steve's uh, I'm not single. podcast dating service. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Right. The only problem we've, is we've, a lot got, of, we've got three generations here almost. But it turns out Randy is officially off the market. Yeah, I'm, I'm not single. Oh, you're not? No. He's had quite a few weekends. Yeah. Really? When he went how, long, out, how long has this been going on for? Uh, three months now. Randy been keeping that a secret. No, I just, not, you know, from, you know, not from Brian, but... I yeah. just keep it on the DL, you know, I'm not, and I try to, you know, get too excited about it. But yeah, I'm, I'm in a relationship. I haven't, seen any fe- I haven't seen any female paraphernalia around your apartment here. That hasn't gotten to that point yet. Oh, okay. This place is for cat parents. I respect. I respect that very greatly. That you're waiting. You're waiting. <laughs> He's moving slowly. Yes. I mean, actually, really moving slowly, well, and also moving slowly in the relationship. That's good. Right. Yeah. Taking, she, taking it easy. I think that's the way to do it. By the way, I think that's the way to do it. If I could go back in time, I would have sort of taken it a little more slowly at some key relationships in my life. What? Well, were you turning up the speed real fast? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, how quickly did you like want to move in with somebody? Uh, I know I wouldn't want to do that, but I would. I would turn up the speed. You know, I burn white hot. Yeah, and then for five I, weeks, and, and then, then I flame out. Flame out. Then I flame out. Right, but I'll burn real white hot for a while, and then sort of go away. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the norm, though. It's unfortunate. Though. I People, think that I, the the early attraction is so intense 
Uh, and then it sort of just sort of fizzles. Right. It just becomes a sort of... And you got to find new ways to make it interesting. You know what is, the challenge is? Here's what's the, the challenge? Cha- yeah, I just thought I know it, you're going to tell us. And I'm going to verbalize it. <laughs> every relationship turns in to every other relationship you had before. People need a breakthrough relationship. You need that one where you go, ah, oh, this is so different than anything like I've experienced before. This has got to be the one because it's just so carefree it's not a challenge it's not hard to be with this person you know what i'm saying yeah that's where i'm at you're at that now where yeah it's real easy oh yeah see and that's and and you want and and really knock on wood here and there is i hope it stays that way (laughs) i hope it stays that way thank you has it has it not been easy with you no. Have the women in your life been difficult? Oh, well, no, I think I've been difficult, too. This yeah, no, no, I think I, I forgot think, who I, I was talking Brian, to. Brian and I are the difficult ones. I mean, I think that oh, we yeah. have a lifestyle that's really difficult. And Brian goes to bed at 9 o'clock at night or 8 o'clock at night. Right, Brian, and then, like I came home today. I had to go to sleep because I was tired. I slept an hour and a half before the morning show this morning. It's crazy. What, day, what date do you drop the OCD bomb? Oh, I like to get that out right up front. <laughs> I like to, you know, put the, put the uh, silverware at the restaurant perfectly align it and then i'd like to say hey d- did you move that fork because that fork i swear it was more toward the edge of the table and she goes wow you're pretty crazy i say oh yeah i have full-blown ocd <laughs> and then she goes check please right right and i say what are we checking what are we checking the light switch what are we checking yeah right no no she says no no i need the check because i have to get away from you i said oh of course uh, of course you do Yes, but there is somebody out there for you, Brian. I, right, I, no, it's, I know it's, that. it's all going to be fine. Right, that's and, how we met, by the way. That you, is. You had somebody, so. Yeah, th- no, I did. Right. I did. And by the way, I always stay friends because I never want to meet somebody in the supermarket and not be able to say hi to them. That's right. That's sort of my rule. I don't want to, and I, and I try to have this with people I've worked with, and uh, I, I, I don't want to ever see somebody in the supermarket and have an issue where i can't say hey how you doing you know what i mean yeah i I think i'm still old school as far as communication goes um i mean no texting has taken over and even i've succumbed to the texting uh thing but i but i like i like face to face no i like face to face you know when i meet somebody um even in in professionally in business i i can't have a good conversation with them over telephone and I would rather, if, even if I have to see them for free, I'd rather sit, have them sit in front of me so I can see facial expressions. Having a good conversation, to me, is such, so much more valuable than texting back and forth while you're, well, you're multitasking, doing 16 other things. Well, look, you and I, when you and I will catch up, we'll go over to Conrad's here in Glendale. Yes. We'll sit down like uh, you know, two old Jews, and we just sit there, and we have our coffee and our Danish. Eh? Ah, ah, with this. Ah, and we sit for two hours, and we just fetch, and we kibitz. And it's awesome. Yes, we but do. That it's all in person. Yes. Now, Randy, uh, by the way, are you with this uh, lovely young woman having verbal communication? Because I remember there was somebody oh, right. last, last year, and you said to her, we can't talk on the phone. We have to only text. Oh, yeah, that was a thing. And I said that was a terrible thing to say to we another. We talked about that on one of the podcasts. We did, right? yes. we, we dissected that. We yeah. did dissect that. This girl likes to text. The only time you make a phone call is you say, hey, I'm outside. Oh. That's it. Why can't you text that? Well, you can do that too. But, <laughs> well, here's the thing. Yeah, you're right. You, know, you can text every other conversation in the world, but the only text that's you know, the only conversation that's urgent is, "Hey, I just pulled up outside your house." So that you do the phone call for, so you get my attention. But what about vocal inflections? What about hearing somebody's voice? I the- see, I'm in person. I don't do well on the phone. 
Yeah, you're afraid of the phone, and I don't know why you'd be afraid of the phone. I love. No, the I have phone. to tell you guys, just listening to you banter back and forth, you guys have great vocal inflections, and and if I were just listening at home, uh, I would be able to uh, get a good impression for you. But but this is verbal communication. This isn't typing something with a lots of symbols and emoticons or whatever it is. You know, I mean, right? This, Don't send me a sad face. Call me and tell me why you're sad. Yeah, I right. have some friends that we only communicate in those little emoji icons. That's if all I, I if I see if I see too many more colons followed by parentheses, yeah. up or down, I'm gonna blow I'm gonna blow right, my brains right. out. You're gonna throw the computer a, through the wall. You have to know that it's a winking smile. Does anybody face. know what IRK means? I don't know what I, I really know. I really know. Okay. I see. I got that. I got that one today. I didn't know. I didn't know what it meant. I see. Why am I? I see why am I anyone <laughs> I see why am I and time no. in case you missed it oh oh boy okay yeah. you, do you throw that one at people you know I don't know that I've I've used it but I've consumed it it's been thrown <laughs> at me and I, I, I obviously made enough of an impact that I've remembered it and I think I am poised at this point to use it and I think maybe I'm gonna hit it tonight you know it, a lot of times on the hockey blogs and stuff like that they'll put down I M H O, which you guys all know me in my humble opinion right right but I mean why why do they do that right because first of all if you're blogging or you're you're on a chat group you're not humble <laughs> right okay and of course we know it's your opinion yes because you put it down right you know it's the one i see everywhere so why do they do that you know it's the one i see everywhere on twitter that really bothers me is people say that they're rhinos have you heard that one? Republicans in name only. What does that even mean? Oh, well, here's what it means. I'm, I'm sure Dr. Stu has an issue with rhinos because he's a pretty conservative guy. I mean, in it, but, it, but in other ways, no. But, but no. <laughs> Careful, Brian. No, no, but rhino means a Republican in name only. That's when, like, the conservatives in the Republican Party, they say, oh, he's a rhino. It means he's a Republican in name only. He's sort of a Democrat in a Republican's clothing. He's just a Republican in name only. He's not a real, true spirited in his gut He's not a Hannity American. That's right. He's not a great American like Sean Hannity. <laughs> your friend. Yeah. Your friend, Sean Hannity. My old friend, Dennis Prager. You know, he's not really a conservative like these guys, or Hugh Hewitt. He's just a rhino. He's a Republican in name only. That's what it means. And a dino is the other one. Democrat in name only, but that doesn't get used no, as much. No, because... No Democrats are just a name only. Right. When we sign up, we the, sign up. Yeah. You go for it. There right. are people, there are people who, aren't, it's for life. who aren't left-wing enough, but they don't really call them dinos. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's just one of those things where I think... Uh, well, I don't even know how we got on this topic. How did we get well, on this topic? We're talking about you know, uh, texting communication versus old-fashioned verbal communication. Yeah, but how did we get on that topic? I don't know. Emoticons this and is, all that. This is what happens when we just get around the three of us going, I hope this is interesting for the folks at home. It is, by <laughs> the folks way. Folks listening. It is interesting. For the all folks. right, so what do we got for us today, Brian? Well, we have uh, you sent over this article, and the article was written. You texted it over to me by Dr. Lori Berkowitz, I believe is her name. And she is... She's out of Boston, I think. I think she is, yeah. She, right. And she is uh, yeah, somebody... Yeah, she is. Yep, she is. Right. And and I, I read it last night, and it irked me because she's very critical of people in the midwifery world or the home birthing world using statistics or saying things in certain ways that makes their position look stronger. And then what she sort of does is does exactly the same thing. Here's what she says. And I'm, I'm just going to quote what yeah, uh, just quote, because I want to, I want to talk about this because some of the things she says are true, but that doesn't mean that they, it doesn't mean that 
that that makes it right. She says uh, that of the home birth, natural childbirth, and U.S. hospital birth debates, she says, without further ado, here's what I think you should know about all of this. She's referring to the ongoing debate that we've talked about here on, on your podcast. And that's partly because uh, there's been a lot of articles lately about the growth of home birth and the spread of home birth. And so the anti-home birth people are, are been up in arms. And the establishment sort of protectors are feeling as if maybe the establishment is being threatened. Right. And she writes, and I'm quoting her, in direct contradiction to what you might have heard, U.S. hospitals have excellent safety stats. Is that true, Dr. Stu? Do they have excellent safety stats? Well, it depends on how you define excellent. Uh, overall, yes, they have excellent safety stats. But if you're, is, is that, is the end point, um, safety at, at what cost i mean we could all be safer if we were all wrapped in bubble wrap and didn't leave our houses i tried that for a year it didn't work <laughs> really yeah no no but uh, yeah right right not a whole leave, year yeah not it took leave, you a year to figure that out right i said oh this is i i feel sort of restricted and wrapped up in this so you know i mean safety is is one end point and it's a it's a decent end point but it's misleading to say that safety is the absolute end point all right i mean life is full of things that are necessarily unsafe but you wouldn't want to not do them well when you talk about for example we've talked on podcasts in the past you talk about sort of the the scrubbing down and sort of the you know it, you always one of the most memorable i just remember oh, right. i have these sort the mask of, and goggles right? yeah right yeah. Well, you know you know you're supposed to scrub for so long but you say look you know doctors they eat they go to the restroom they they touch doorknobs they're opening doors they're handling pens and staplers and they're doing all of this stuff and they're touching everything that we're touching and they're human beings right and nobody dies from that all right they they don't and, and so i don't know you know when she's talking about safety she's actually she's referring to the birth world and she's referring to the the fact that you know even though the statistics say that that uh the infant mortality rate in the united states is like 46th or 47th she's saying that that's not fair to compare because of socioeconomic issues right. and obesity issues and other things like that. What she really says is we should look at the neonatal death rate, which is in the first 30 days of life, and that that hospitals do better than home birthing. You know, I don't know that that I think that anyone can come up with statistics like that. I think that both of them are safe. Whether one's safer than another is is a moot point because ultimately, what you're looking at is for people to find information make a decision and decide, yeah, we're willing to give up this for that, or we aren't willing to give up this for that. And so that's a decision. But to, to take sides on this thing and to vilify people on the other side is wrong. And I'm not for you know, people on the home birthing world who vilify hospital birth, but I, I, think, that what, I think it's a ploy that, that the hospital birthing people uh, say is that they misquote what we're saying. They say things like, the, they're, you're, they're saying that hospital birth is dangerous, and nobody's saying that. What we're saying is that the results are not necessarily good, so we're being mis they're not necessarily desirable for a certain segment of the population. Right. I think what, what, what you've tried to say, and I think you've been successful, Dr. Stu, in saying here uh, on your podcast is that uh, – you, uh, you 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 have never demonized uh you know hospital birth i mean you you you've defended it you've said many times it's necessary um but i think what you're trying to do is is uh raise to that level of social acceptability the option of not having your baby at the hospital that's right and i think that's sort of a good way to encapsulate it right and and so the the, the there's a lot of twisting and again we've talked about statistics and about data and yeah it's skewed by both sides 
but ultimately the decision on what to do isn't it shouldn't be uh, some doctor sitting in massachusetts or some doctor sitting in in uh, valley village it really should be decided by individual people given as much information as possible and then their decisions should be respected and that's the problem the biggest problem i see in the whole debate is the lack of respect for the minority and the minority being the home birthing world yeah see i think that's really interesting and i think that's an important way to say it too a lack of uh, you know it, it you know when it comes to free speech i say all the time when it comes to expression or something and i understand this is different than expression this is actually an act this is you know where you're giving birth and i understand that folks might be more sensitive to it i always say when we talk about free speech the real test in in your defensive free speech is the level to which you'll stand up and defend that speech with which you disagree you know, that's the real challenge for people, I think, is to sort of accommodate a way or respect a way that might not be your way, but it is definitely somebody else's way. And yeah. with home birthing, I think that applies. And I think in, in this particular case, I don't know this physician. I would love to have a conversation with this physician. I would love to be able to sit down and at, at the deli at the uh, Conrad's, Conrad's yeah. and have a two-hour conversation with her. And, and, and think, But what, what I think is there's a lot of projection on here. I think that that they project onto the other side what they themselves feel about their own side. I sure. Mean, do you know what I mean by that? Yes, I do. I think I do. Okay. Uh, but explain. I mean, well, um, they, they're saying that, you know, we're vilifying them. But, but you're not. But by saying that, they're vilifying us. Right. Well, the tactics are the same. The tactics, uh, yeah, th th that's a tactic. That it, you know, it's a, it's a tactic. Yeah, they're, they're, they're giving us the qualities that they themselves have and they're throwing it right back. And this happens in politics all the time. Sure. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like when Nancy Pelosi says something stupid, like uh, Republicans hate children or whatever. Right. It is. And she said, uh, up Republican, or she wouldn't name, but she had a conversation with, uh, with uh, this person. And the person said, uh, oh, I hate children or something. And she quoted this person. And it just sounded like she was making it up. It didn't sound real to me. In fact, I'm sort of like Nancy. I mean, you know, I'm no on, one, I'm no on one believes, the aisle, but I, I thought that was not genuine. No one, uh, no one but a politician or a spin doctor believes that, that anybody on the other side hates children. And I don't think that, that unless right. you're a spin doctor and like there are certain people out there on the Internet who absolutely hate midwives and home birth and they're putting out venom every week or even several times a week they they're they're they are spinning things and they're making it very difficult to have an, an absolute dialogue because they're vilifying um the other side and it, you know and the only way to fight back is to sort of use the same tactics right and then we find we're both down in the mud and we're all dirty and nothing's getting cleaned up the truth is is that home birth isn't going to go away that hospital birth is not the be-all end-all there are problems with hospital birthing that are that are unsolvable what are they well, well, uh, well simply the idea that a couple the, one of the solutions for for trying to get people better outcomes is is they may they say make hospital birth more like home birth all right right but you can't do that because it's a hospital you can't do that because it's a hospital a hospital's got policies and procedures and they smell a certain and way you have to get in your car and drive there right. and you have to be uh processed and paperworked and admitted and and it's never going to be the same as home. It's not your bed. It's not and your house. They have certain like, like we talked recently. Um, I had a, a client, who I I just met. I haven't even met yet. I just talked to her on the phone for the first time yesterday. She's two days past her due date. She's a previous cesarean section. Her doctor was supportive of VBAC out in Ventura County, but her doctor's going on vacation in two days, oh. three days. 
So she met the doctor who's backing her doctor, who did not give her any confidence whatsoever that he's supportive of the process. He's very nervous about it. And so she's now looking elsewhere because she feels like the hospital where she wants to go is anti-VBAC. And the reason that I know this for a fact that that hospital is anti-VBAC is not because the doctors there are anti-VBAC, but because the county, it's a county hospital, their insurance policy right. will not allow them to do VBAC. Right. That's it. That's what's going on. Right. Right. So this this whole debate, it gets all muddied up because there's no respect for the other, you know, for the viability of options. You know, that's interesting. You, you said a moment ago that um, that uh, the. You, you just made a point and maybe I just maybe I just lost it you you said that um, that you know they're vilifying midwives and and they're you know uh, the, the the others I I wonder where 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 do you think from where does the medical establishments sort of vitriolic opposition to the alternative of home birthing from where does that emotion come where does that raw sort of anger and that effort to vilify and demonize a midwife or a doula from where does that come yeah even in this article she she says that they're not professionals right she actually she says that yeah sort of paraphrasing yeah she does yeah 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 and it and it, that that one drove me crazy. where does it come from it comes from very different sources brian i mean it depends on who you're who who you're talking to um it's you know the vilification of the of uh, this whole home birth midwife thing from some people comes because they've actually had a bad experience where they've had a transport come in and it's been a disaster because maybe policies weren't followed maybe something happened that was unavoidable but it's been a disaster and the doctor on call is stuck with it and that what that event spreads like wildfire through the hospital sure. and, and home birth is is doomed at that institution for years to come like any other office the word spreads around well, it's the same thing. If a doctor has a bad outcome, then that doctor's name sort of gets spread around right. and, and, and vilified. And, you know, that's human nature. You're not going to stop that. Some of it is purely economic. I mean, that we talked, we've talked before about how the organized medicine doesn't want to lose control of it. We're talking lots of money. I mean, the cesarean section rate in the United States is 33%. The hospitals have no incentive if you look at it purely from a business model, of to, to bring lower, the net number down, to lower it down, even though ACOG says they they think the section rate's too high. That's remarkable. Why, well, it's, why one would, in, it's one in three. Yeah, why would a hospital lower the lower the rate? They you know the average C-section charges. I don't know this is what they get paid. Is about thirty five thousand dollars in the United States. A vaginal birth at a hospital is running between fifteen and eighteen thousand dollars, depending on where you go. Is what's built. And a home birth, the average is about six five or six thousand dollars. So if a hospital makes twice as much or more. To do a C-section, why do they want to lower their rate? Now, that's very cynical, but you asked where is this vilification from? That's part of it. Part of it comes from mis misinformation. Part of it comes from uh, people who are just mean, propagating mean things about um, a profession that they don't understand. Yeah. And she, she also says that, that midwives are not experts in, in birthing. Right. And you and I have talked many times about how ex midwives are actually experts in normal birth. We've had them right here on the show. And that doctors are experts in abnormal birth. And I resent, and, then, and again, I think that this is the climate that Dr. Berkowitz is her name? Yes. Yeah, that she lives in, and she actually thinks this, and I, and I would love to spend, have a conversation with her. I don't know that she understands the training that midwives go through, and she should have more respect for them. I mean, doctors, even doctors that I have strong disagreements with, we still go through a rite of passage. Right. And they had to graduate medical. They had to go through medical school. They had to go through residency. Anybody that endures that and survives that 
has got to have some is it, is respect. Des- deserving of respect. Sure. Some respect. Right. 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 I right. mean, you can you can differ with their how they their opinions. Yeah, if they come out of it right. different, but you got to respect the fact that they they did it. They did it. Right. Sure. Yeah, I think that's important. Where does the um, you know from the other side? So let me hit you with this sort of argument from the other side. Uh, when you go after the C-section rate and you say thirty-three percent and you lament it, and that's a recurring theme here on our podcast, uh, your podcast, our podcast. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yes. Yes. It's a group. It effort. is. A, yeah. It, it, I couldn't be here without you. Well, I certainly people tune in uh, a lot of times to listen to you. I don't know about that. Oh yeah, that's but true. Where does where does that sort of visceral anti-C-section where does that come from because we've you know we're at podcast 45 here and that's been a recurring theme is it because it's surgery is it because it's you know it's it's a surgical well, procedure and it's sort of like why would you cut somebody if you really oh brian you, this is you're now you're going to open up one of stew's can of worms here okay because, let's go because th- there's so much about what's a, a, the cesarean section issue one yeah it's a major surgery recovery is slower there's possible there's a lot more potential for complications to the mother to you know, long term uh, fertility, uh, adhesion, scarring, bowel obstruction, ruptured uterus, and subsequent pregnancies. Inf- did I say infertility? I might have said that. I don't know. But there's lots of things that can happen. There's also the emotional aspect of it, and then there's you know as as far as a woman feeling complete or incomplete, depending on whether she was res- her her decisions were respected, her opinions were respected, uh, that she was disempowered. And then there's the the, the known fact that babies born by a cesarean section are like more likely to have problems later in life. What types of problems? Well, you know, more likely to have respiratory problems, uh, childhood asthma. Uh, there may be more. Again, the, the, there are some, and again, I, I don't want to quote these as necessary facts, but there's things about necessarily maybe autism or other things that might be higher. There's certainly... Trends that could be looked at. Yeah, there's certainly issues with the immune system because of the exposure to possibly non-maternal and paternal bacteria, but to hospital-based bacteria, uh, much early on they're born through a sterile procedure and they're taken off to a nursery which is not mother's chest that sort of thing Mm. uh there's delays in bonding there's delays in you know that whole oxytocin cocktail that goes on between mother and baby right and the babies are separated from their mother Uh, that's changing somewhat because people are beginning to realize that so there's a lot to do with surgery and then well, you know, if you want three or four or five kids, you gotta uh, you gotta fight for a V back next time in a, in a, a world that's hostile to that. Um, so yeah, yeah, it becomes uh, it, yeah, it really becomes sort of as as you describe it. It it becomes I think you know when we we've had guests here um, um, of midwives and doulas. We talked about the the legislation here in California, of course uh, that was that was put up and that was that was passed. There is almost sort of in, in the time we have remaining, there is sort of this kind of feeling that um, and we've talked about it in other cultures that if a woman uh, oh right right if, if if a woman has her baby. Uh, doesn't do it naturally, that there's something less respected about that. Yeah, we talked about the, that uh, culture in, in the Nigerian uh, women. Um, this is what I've been told by my, Nigerian client, my Nigerian client who had a VBAC after three C-sections. Yeah. Which is she finally felt whole because the other women used to tease her. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's lots of things about it. Uh, I just don't understand... Well, I do understand it because I just explained to you why yep. there's such venom against home birthing because it is interfering with the status quo. And some people may start to doubt themselves. If, if you're a hospital-based physician who doesn't do VBAC, who doesn't do breech delivery, who has a C-section rate of 30 or 40% in your practice, 
and you're hearing about these other alternatives, you know, that's very uncomfortable. You know what it's like if you have an ideology and suddenly someone tries to undermine your ideology, you sure. fight like hell. It's personal. To keep to keep your ideology. And there's got to be middle ground. And again, I would suggest to people who are anti-home birthing that you need, you know, there are bad if, uh, bad events that happen in home birthing. There are bad events at hospital hospital birthing. Nothing is perfect. But home birthing is coming. It's not going to go away. So if you really have the patient's best interests at heart, then collaboration between hospitals and home birthing personnel is the best way to go because that's how you're serving the women of your community. You're not serving them by vilifying the people that they're going to or or because they're not going to listen to you anyway and they're going to hate you for being so mean to their midwife. And it seems to me, sort of as somebody who's out of this on the outside looking in, coming here and doing the show with you and sort of observing this and learning so much in doing the podcast with you, that the both opposite sides really seem to be at loggerheads. The, the, the opportunity for conversation, constructive dialogue between the home birthing community, the hospital birthing community, it seems just to me, as I think a pretty neutral observer, it seems that they're really far apart. Well, and the constructive dialogue is a challenge it, at this it's point. It's coming, though. It's coming. There are there are um, meetings going on all over the country of trying to to facilitate uh, collaboration between home and hospital birthing. I know that Cedar Sinai right here in Los Angeles is doing something uh, with family centered uh, care, and um, they bringing together doctors and midwives and labor delivery nurses oh. and pediatricians, and they have a meeting every uh, I don't know once a year or every six months. Yeah, and they have it for dialogue, yeah. and um, they're trying to uh, do that. So that's very constructive. And then, and then there are the damaging people out there who who are so vitriolic, so nasty that you know what? No one has to talk about them specifically by name because they have no credibility. And because those people, folks will show their cards pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and they have no credibility because people who talk like that turn everybody off. Right. Even if you know what? If I were an, somebody who felt home birth was dangerous and there was a blogger out there who is as nasty as there is this one blogger out there i would tell her to shut the f up right because you know what you're making our position very difficult to defend because you're such an asshole right 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 and 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 and, and you're and you're uh, you're bankrupting the dialogue i mean you're, you're sort of sort of morally bankrupting the opportunity for any constructive conversation that's correct yeah and that's a problem that's yeah. That's very interesting. Because obviously, uh, in addition to to the actual home birthing, uh, the actual alternative of home birthing and sort of the logistics of it is this great sort of almost uh, this cause, this movement, this political sort of dialogue in sort of bringing it forward is just as important. Yeah, and I and ultimately, what I would like to see happen is I would like to be a spokesperson for middle ground and i think that because of my background of 20 some years doing hospital birthing and almost four years now of doing home birthing that that i can be that person and yeah of course i have my bias but i can sit down and i would love to sit down with dr berkowitz or or anybody else who's willing to have a conversation if there's a conference someday that that i can actually attend and i can get away and attend it right, right. <laughs> if there's a conference um that brings these people together and t talks about that that would be great the problem is is that the midwives and people like me are so often disrespected yep. in that community that we're never invited mm. to this. So they, they invite vitriolic bloggers to speak, but they don't invite people who are actually doing the work. And these people who, they should, they should see home birthing. They should, they should talk to the women that have had home birthing. Um, 
good and bad results because we know what can happen in hospital birthing. We know that some people have a nice experience there, and we know that certain some people actually need to be there. I mean, yesterday, for instance, I saw a, a, a client who uh, was at 23 and a half weeks and came in for a routine ultrasound, and there was something wrong, and we found it, and we got her in the hospital, and my associate took care of her, mm. and we're hoping for a good outcome. We won't know for a while, but we're hoping for a good outcome. But this is good collabor- it was good collaborative effort, right. is that I found something, but I don't go to the hospital, so I couldn't take care and of her. And it was in the best he interest t- of the patient, of he, the client. He took care of her, and there was no, you know, th- but that's because he knows me, and he knows that I'm not... Uh, the enemy. Right. Yeah. And if you want to have that dialogue, we, we often give uh, the email address, askdrstu at gmail.com. Askdrstu at gmail.com. Dr. Stu reads all of those emails, responds to them. Oftentimes we share them on the podcast here. Sometimes I'm way behind, but I will get to them. Yeah. And then, and then you will get to them. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, we encourage you to do that. Give Dr. Stu five stars, write him a nice review, and make sure you come back here to drstuspodcast.com for our next episode. For Dr. Stuart Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us on Dr. Stu's Podcast. <laughs>